morning. Welcome to H2O. It's great to have you here. Uh, my name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, and uh, we are excited to be together today, I want to say hello to H2O Akron, who's joining us via video. And uh, we are kind of starting to wrap up this year. In fact, if you're a college student, this is the last Sunday before you go into finals. Finals start tomorrow. So uh, typically, especially over on the campus service, there will be a lot more college students because you'll need a lot more prayer this week, right, as you head into finals. And uh, we're excited because we're wrapping up this year. We're actually having a baptism uh, service tonight here in Bowling Green. Next week, H2O uh, Akron will have a baptism service because they're a week behind us. And, and so we're so excited. And as we're wrapping up this school year for the college students, we're also wrapping up uh, this year-long journey where we have been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. So all the way back in August, we looked at chapter 1, and throughout this year, we've walked through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today, we are going to wrap up this series that we're calling Sent, uh, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I don't know about for you, but for me, I, I've loved the journey, personally. I've loved to just spend the whole year in, in one book, in the book of 1 Corinthians. I, I think there's been so much that has applied to us as a church. And it's crazy how, how God uses this book that was written 2,000 years ago to directly speak to us in the situations. It's been amazing how, you know, certain seasons, even throughout the year that we've been going through, uh, God's word spoke directly to it. And, uh, and Paul, his words to this young church, this kind of struggling church, but this vibrant church have been so rich to me, and I hope they've been rich to you as well as we've journeyed through the book of 1 Corinthians this year. And we're going to wrap it up uh, today before we head into uh, our, our summer series that will get started next week. And so uh, with that being said, I wanted to start off with, with sharing uh, a story with you. And, and it's a story that happened a couple years ago. Uh, it was a story that, that revolves around my family and my kids. Um, it, was, it was in December. And we were making our way up to the Christmas season. And uh, my kids, uh, I don't know, uh, those of you who have kids, if you can relate to this, but, but it is like insane how much my kids are spoiled during Christmas, okay? It's like ridiculous. It seems like unhealthy almost. Maybe some of you can relate to that. It's like when I was a kid, I just got a stick and a tire, and I was happy, you know? But, <laughs> but my kids, you know, like they just, you know, they get flooded with gifts from their grandparents and, and from, you know, from everyone. And so um, Sarah and I, we were having this discussion and we were talking about you know we don't want our kids to just be all into materialism you know we want our kids to understand the reason for the season which is Jesus you know and so um, what are we going to do so we, we talked with some friends and they had this this system that, that they did with their kids where uh, leading up to Christmas they made their kids go and choose some of the toys that they already had to give away to other kids who are in need you know it's like you're going to be getting new toys so you can give some toys and so we thought that's a great idea. Let's do that. So we gathered our kids around. We had this little powwow. We kind of explained to them what we were doing, and, and a lot of their toys are down in our basement. So we took a family trip down into our basement, and uh, we were like, okay, guys, we want you to pick out some toys that you want to give to other kids, all right? And so Sarah and I just kind of sat there and watched, and, you know, lo and behold, what our, our kids did is they went to the corner, and they found, like, the oldest, nastiest stuffed animal had coffee stains on it, you know, probably smelled of Cheetos. I mean, they, they found like this toy that they never played with. And, and each one of them, this is a couple years ago, but each one of them, they brought it back to us and like, here you go. We'd like to give this away, you know. 
And we're like, ah, oh, guys, you know, that's not exactly what we're going for, you know. We want you to give away something that's, like, good. You know, we want you to give away something that you actually like. We want you to give away something that you actually play with. And so my kids are smart. They're, they're wildes. They take after me, right? And so they, they, like, I could just see the wheels turning. And they, they went back, and they started kind of looking. And they knew they had a certain threshold, you know, of, like, it's got to be just good enough that mom and dad think I actually like this toy, but not good enough that I actually care about giving it up. And so, you know, they came and brought back another one. Well, what about this? You know, and we're like, ah, that's not, that's not quite good enough. You know, we want you to give away something even bigger. We want you to give away something that you actually play with, not just that you think about playing with, that you actually play with. So they went back a third time, and finally, you know, they, they just submitted, they got it, and, and they brought back a, a toy. And, and the heart of, of that kind of little lesson that, that my wife and I, we taught our kids, is that we wanted our kids to trust us that sometimes you have to give away something good to get something even better right? Sometimes in life, you have to give away and live kind of open-handedly with something that's good to get something even better. And as I think about that story, and I think about my kids and my poor kids, you know, their pastor's kids, they get stories told about them a lot. But I think about all of us, and I think, honestly, as adults, we're probably not all that different, are we? You know, as adults, when we get our hands on something good, oftentimes it's like we don't want to give it away, do we? We want to keep our hands around it. We want to kind of have this tight grip on it. And some of us may think, well, I'm a, I'm a pretty generous person. But the reality is oftentimes we want to hold on to the good things in our lives. You know, have, have any of you ever like bought a brand new car and then went out and given it away? You know, you'd be like, no, of course not. You know, have you ever went out and bought like a brand new, really nice, expensive outfit and then turned around and went and given it to goodwill? Like, no, you know, of course not. When we get our hands on good things, we tend to want to keep them for ourselves. But as I was thinking about this lesson that I was seeking to teach our kids, I thought about my own life. I thought about our church. I thought about all of us. And I thought, you know, we need to learn that same lesson as well. That sometimes in God's kingdom, we need to live open-handedly, give away good things in order to get God's best for our life. And see, the big idea that, that we want to talk about together today as we're wrapping up this series, as we're going into this, this Senior Sunday, as we're going to even celebrate sending out some, some seniors here at Bowling Green and sending out some people to, to be part of church plants, uh, the big idea that we're going to talk about together today is that living with open hands allows us to be part of something bigger than we could ever imagine. Living open-handedly allows us to be part of something bigger than we could ever imagine. See, oftentimes when God brings something good into our lives, we're tempted to have a death grip on it. And it's called a death grip for a reason. Because the tighter you choke it, oftentimes you kill it, right? And sometimes we have such a hard grip on the good things in our life that we're not willing to let them go. And sometimes we actually end up hurting ourselves, hurting the, the good things that God brings into our life because we're not willing to live open-handedly. We're not willing to say, God, even if you bring something good into my life, I'm willing to lay it at your feet and say, do with it as you will, because everything in my life is yours. And so today, as we're thinking about sending Sunday, even as we're thinking about some of the relationships that God has brought into our lives, which are near and dear to us, my encouragement to all of us is that we would be a church that lives open-handedly, that we would be a church that says, God, even though there's something beautiful and good about the things that you brought into our church, about the people that you brought into our church, about the opportunities that you've, you put before us, God, we want to be open-handed because, God, we know that you will continue to provide 
And God, we know that you might even have something better for us as we seek to be a church that sends and that lives open-handedly. And that's really the heartbeat of who we are uh, as a church, H2O. That's the heartbeat of, of our network as I think about H2O Akron. I think about all the other different network churches that we partner with. It's been amazing to see what God has done with a group of people who have tried, sometimes imperfectly, but have tried to say, God, we are going to live open-handedly day in and day out with everything that you give us. And so we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 16 uh, today, and we're going to see Paul kind of have this attitude of, of living with open hands as he's sending people out, as he's traveling all over the, the Middle East to take the gospel to different places, and we're going to see what we can learn from this passage together today. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through uh, 14 we're going to work through, but we're going to stop a couple times and see what, what God wants us to pull out from this scripture. So you can open up your, your H2O apps if you have them. You can pull out your handouts or follow along in your Bibles. It says this, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Save it up so that when collection comes, no one will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gifts to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. And we're going to stop right there, and, and we're going to pull out this first point from the text, and it's this, that sending takes sacrifice. Sending takes sacrifice. To live open-handedly, to be a sending church, to be a person who says, God, whatever you give me, I want it to, to live with open hands with it, that takes sacrifice. See, Paul lived as a, a sent man. You know, he, he, he said, God, my, my whole life is yours. And so Paul's life was just literally traveling around, again, the Middle East, and he would stop at these major port cities. He would stop in Galatia. He would stop in Ephesus. He would stop in, in, in Corinth. And as he was stopping in those cities, they were instrumental. They were key cities. They were important cities. And he would stay there as long as he felt like God was calling him to stay there. He would share the gospel, and he would start churches. And so Paul lived as this sent man. But Paul says, hey, in order for me to live out the mission that God is calling me to live, it's going to take some sacrifice on your part, church in Corinth. It's going to take some sacrifice. And so Paul is saying, I want you to live with open hands when it comes to your money, when it comes to your resources. And I don't know about you, but for some of us, that is an extremely scary thought to think about. You know, because some of us think of our money as, as ours, right? And, and we have this, this death grip on it. But Paul says, listen, you can change your mindset as we're seeking to be a church that takes the gospel places and sends out people. It will take sacrifice from all of us. And that sacrifice might even hit you where it might hurt most, right in your wallet. It takes sacrifice. It's interesting. Sometimes uh, people uh, that don't like when, when churches talk about money, they look at Paul and, and they say this thing. They say, well, Paul was a tent maker. Maybe you've heard some people say that. Paul was a tent maker. And so that meant that he actually had his own job. He never asked for money from a church. He just, you know, lived and, and worked and, and provided for himself and then just did whatever he did off the money he made, made as a tent maker. But clearly that is not completely true. Paul did make tents. He did have some supplements supplemental income from that but what we see here is Paul is saying listen I need you church to sacrifice and to give 
If I'm going to live as a sent man, if I'm going to take the gospel to all these different places, then I need you to set aside a sum of money in accordance with your income. So if you make a lot, set aside a lot. If you make a little, hey, it's okay to set aside a little. And I need you to sacrifice for the gospel. And, and I think it's, it's kind of cool thinking back to that analogy with my kids, you know. Uh, sometimes we're tempted just to, to give the, the stuffed animal that smells like Cheetos in the corner of the basement away. And, and sometimes even as Christians, we're tempted to live like that with our finances. Well, I'll just throw a, a little bit of my extra, you know, income in the, in the basket or, or in the box in the back. But Paul's saying, no, decide what God is calling you to give and sacrifice for the mission. See, sending takes sacrifice on all of our parts. And, and as Paul is talking about the financial sacrifice, I think it extends even more than that. I, I think it doesn't just stop at, at, at financial sacrifice. I think it, it, it continues to live open-handedly. We have to sacrifice in so many different areas. I think about our church specifically. I think about the H2O Network churches, and I think about how much we sacrifice relationally oftentimes to take the gospel to places that desperately need it. See, Paul traveled to these strategic cities. That's why we plant churches in college towns because we believe that there are strategic places to take the gospel to the whole world. And, and as you know, if you've been a part of H2O, that's part of our vision is that we would plant churches in these strategic places so that they can, they can send out the gospel. And I have to tell you, there are times where it stings to sacrifice relationally. I remember when we planted our first church, I was, I was just on staff. I hadn't been on staff that long, and we were kind of trying to figure out who was going to go and who was going to stay because you need people to go, but you also need people to stay so that the church can continue to send and make an impact. And, um, and, and as through prayer and through conversations, we decided that, that Sarah and I would be part of the team that would stay, and we decided that some of our dearest friends would be part of the team that would go. And so my wife's three best friends women who like stood up in, in our wedding with us, women that, that, that she loved, that she spent so much time with, they all went on the church plant. And some of my best friends, they went. And I remember that season and just saying, God, it's so hard to live open-handedly. It's so hard. Because it's not just throwing some money in a basket. It's actually sacrificing. And that hurts sometimes. But man, it's so beautiful to see what God's done with that faith. And now that's happened again and again and again. And we've been part of being a church plant hub that's continuing to send out church plants. I think about Madison that we're sending out and the process of sending out right now. And, and man, you just think about the, the men and women that are so dear to so many of us. And it's hard. It's hard to live open-handedly. But God calls us to do it because when we do, we get to be a part of something so much bigger than we could ever, ever imagine. I'm not a person who, who cries a lot, you know. People give me a hard time about that. They're like, I want you to cry more, which I don't understand. But that's, that's what people told me. But I've cried many times sending people out to go plant churches. Because when you do life with people, when you do ministry with people, when you walk alongside them, you get close with them. You love them. You see them at their best. You see them at their worst. And that's good, and that's rich, and that's beautiful. And yet God says, even those deep, deep relationships, lay them down at the altar and live open-handedly because you'll be amazed with what I can do. So sending takes sacrifice. Let's jump back into the text. Verse 5 says this. 
After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be gone through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter with you so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go, for I do not want to see you uh, and only make a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective work has been opened to me and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as am I. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. See, secondly, the mission can be messy. The mission can be messy. Paul gives us a, a little glimpse into the inner workings of what's going on here in the early church, and it was a little bit messy. You know, some of us were like type A's, and we like to fit everything into a perfect little box, don't we? Some of us, we, we're kind of control freaks, and we like to have our exact plan figured out. We like to know, you know, what our 20-year plan is, what our 10-year plan is, what our 5-year plan, what our 1-year plan, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to make plans. That's an important part. But here we see Paul say things like, well, I'd like to come to you if the Lord wills. maybe Timothy will come, you know, make sure you don't give him a hard time. We get this glimpse that there's some messiness going on within the mission, but that doesn't stop Paul from saying, listen, we're going to push forward with doing what God is calling us to do. I want to highlight two areas that that Paul talks about this messiness. First, in verse 9, I don't know if you caught it or not, but this is an amazing verse. Paul says, a great door of effective work has been opened to me, How do you know that? Because there are many who oppose me. A great door of effective work has been opened to me, and I know it because there's a lot of people that are opposing me. And as I think about that, I think, what an amazing perspective that Paul had here in this situation. You know, Paul says, I'm sharing the gospel. Awesome things are happening. He's in Ephesus when he's writing this. And I know it because there's a lot of people that are against me, and they're mad at me, and there's a struggle that's going on. And so God's at work. Now think about your own life. When you face opposition, when you face a trial, when you face a struggle, what is your response? Is your response to press into it like like Paul is doing here and say, hey, I'm not leaving. I'm not running from Ephesus because there's opposition. I'm actually going to stay here longer because I know God's working. And what about us? When there's a struggle, when there's opposition, when something comes into our life, do we say, God must be working because there's something going on here that's bigger than myself. There's something going on here. There's some type of struggle. There's some type of opposition. And so I know that the gospel compels me to step into it and push into it because God is going to work in those moments of weakness and struggle. Or do we just flee? Or do we just run? We just say, oh, man, it's a little too hard. I'm facing a little bit of opposition. This person didn't like exactly how I said something or I have a relational problem here and so I'm just going to run from it. See, oftentimes we can know that God is working in the opposition because the gospel brings hope into a messy situation. The gospel is a gospel of peace. The gospel is a gospel of love. The gospel is is, is something that transforms us and it transforms the the relationships and the situations that we're in. And so if you're in a situation that that there's some opposition or some messiness, I want to encourage you, don't run from it. 
press into it because you may be the person that God wants to use to bring hope and peace and love through Jesus in that moment and in that situation. The mission can be messy, but we serve a God who loves to work in a place of opposition and use us in those moments. And then secondly, not only was there opposition, but there was some relational tension that was going on here. Paul and Apollos had a disagreement, right? This is Paul, the most prolific church planner, the most prolific missionary. I mean, he had the respect of everybody. And he says, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go with the brothers. I strongly told Apollos, I want you to go to Corinth. But what does Apollos say? He was quite unwilling to go. He didn't listen to me. But check this out. Check out Paul's response. He says, so he'll go when he has an opportunity. And I think that that is so beautiful, the the example that Paul sets us here for leadership. Because you have to imagine the situation that Paul could have powered up. Paul could have said, listen, I am Paul, all right? I'm, I'm running this show, okay, Apollos? Go there. It's not a question, it's a command. But he says, no, God's working in Apollos' life too. So even though I encouraged him to go, he didn't want to go. And so I'm giving him the freedom to make that decision. Paul gave up control within this situation because he trusted God and he trusted the people that God had brought into his life. And that's a beautiful leadership lesson. For any of us who are in leadership, sometimes control is such a hard thing to give up, right? Because we think we have it all figured out. Because we think we know what's going on. Because we think we know what's best. And sometimes we might even be right. But Paul's example here is, listen, once I release somebody, once I send somebody out, I trust them. And I let them decide. And I let them make decisions. And that can be messy. That oftentimes doesn't fit in the boxes that we would like to draw up in life. But that's where God works. So the mission can be messy. But man... It can be beautiful as well. And as each one of us presses into God, presses into the gospel, it's amazing to see what God will do. So much more than we could ever imagine as we live open-handedly. And don't try to control things. Don't try to choke things out, but say, God, it's yours. And I trust you, and I trust the people you put in my life. All right, let's jump back in. We're just going to look at verse 13 here for our third point. Paul says this, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. See, sending takes courage. Sending takes courage. I mean, can you picture traveling around in the situation that they're in in the Middle East? There's opposition. There's there's people that, that are actually opposing you. Some of these people might have even lost their life for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. But Paul says, listen, be on guard, stand firm, be courageous. Don't be afraid. Be strong. So many opportunities for the gospel are missed when we're, when we're in fear and when we're afraid and when we can't take a step of faith. And so Paul gives us this encouragement, be courageous. You know, I, I got the chance to, uh, to go and visit uh, San Francisco in February, Sarah and I did. And uh, this is a picture of us in front of the Golden Gate Bridge. And uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, is, it's, it's amazing. I like, I, I'm kind of a history guy, and so like, I was just walking across it, and Sarah was probably annoyed with me because like, I didn't care about the views or anything like that. I just cared about the bridge. I was just like, this thing is amazing. Like, how did they build this, you know? It was built in 1930. You know, they didn't, we didn't have computers.
computers. We didn't have all the technology that we did, and it's massive. It's like I'm just walking around. I'm looking at the bolts. I'm looking at everything, the concrete. I'm like, this is insane that people built this thing in 1930. I can't even imagine it. And, and, and I've done some research on this bridge, and, and what had happened is they started building this bridge, and, and a number of people would fall. I mean, it is scary walking out on that thing. It, it's, it's so huge. And a number of people fell to their death as they started building this bridge. And something happened. Uh, the, the workers became scared, as they should be, you know, and, the, and they started slowing down as they were, they were working. They became really tentative. They came, became really fearful. And they were so afraid that, like, the pace of building this bridge was, was so slow. And, and they had a scheduled date of when they were going to open it, and they weren't even close to opening it because everybody that was working on it had saw a couple people fall to their death, and they were paralyzed with fear, as you can imagine. And so the, the engineers who were, who were building this, this bridge, they came up with this plan. It's a plan that I don't think had ever been done before. They, they built this net underneath the area where the men were working. And, and they put this net underneath there as like a safety net. They didn't have many safety regulations in 1930, but they put this safety net underneath the bridge. And so uh, the first man was, was kind of doing some work, and he fell, and he fell down into the safety net, and he lived. And all of a sudden, the fear that was crippling these guys started to be released a little bit. And they started to work faster again. And they started to realize that they could do this. And they started to walk a little bit more freely. And the pace of the project picked back up because there was this massive safety net that was built under the area that they were working for. And eventually, the bridge got back on schedule and got built. And it's an amazing uh, feat that, that they could build this thing. And as I was thinking about that story, I was thinking about that safety net. And I was thinking about our God who loves us and cares for us so much. And it's like his grace is our safety net in life. His, his grace, his love, his compassion for us is like this giant safety net that we don't have to walk through life being so tentative, being so afraid, being so scared. But we can walk through life being empowered. We can walk through life knowing that God has a plan for us. And that even if we fail, even if we fall, even if we make a mistake, his love and grace is there for us. And so we don't have to be afraid. And so if you're here today and you're a senior on this Senior Sending Sunday, and maybe you're going to be sent out. Maybe you don't even know where you're going. Maybe you're not exactly sure what's going to happen in your life, but you're a little bit scared. We understand that. But we want to echo Paul's words to you. Be courageous. Be courageous. Because God's grace is not only the, the grace that saved you, but God's grace is the grace that will keep you and empower you for a lifetime of loving and serving him. Maybe you're here and you're, you're gone on a church run. We're going to send out a couple people today that are, that are gone to Madison. We already sent out people. And as I think about you, I want to encourage you to be courageous. God has a plan. God's going to do awesome things. And his love and his grace is a safety net for you. Maybe you're here and you're staying. And you've never really been part of like sending out people like this before. And so you're scared as well because you're gone. Is it going to be different? Is God going to still work here? Am I going to have relationships that, that I've spent so, many time, so much time investing in? I want to tell you, be courageous. As we live open-handedly, God will do amazing things. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And so I want us to have courage here today. Let's not let fear keep us from missing opportunities to send the gospel 
to places that desperately need it. We can be courageous. And then verse 14. It's a beautiful way to wrap up a beautiful book and a lot of time in 1 Corinthians. And it's probably kind of the key theme that we've hit on over and over again. Verse 14 of chapter 16. Do everything in love. Do everything in love. See, fourth and finally, love drives the mission. Love drives the mission. Whether you're being sent out here today or whether you're staying here in an effort to send out more people later, love has to drive all that we do. And Paul keeps coming back to this idea of love over and over and over again as he's talking to this church in Corinth who desperately needs a gospel. He says, love. Love has to drive everything. Love is the greatest weapon that we have as we go. Love is the greatest weapon that we have as we stay. Love is the heartbeat of who we are as followers of Christ. And love allows us to live open-handedly. You know, as, as we think about love, we can't help but think about the, the, the source of love, which comes from God, our Father. And we can't help about think uh, about the gospel and Jesus who left heaven, came to this earth, Walked on earth, lived a perfect life because he loved us and then went to the cross and was crucified and killed for us because he loves us. And Easter, we celebrated as he rose from the dead and conquered death. And now each and every one of us, we have an opportunity to embrace that love that God has shown for us in the gospel. And it's so powerful and it's so real and it's meant to be given away. It's not meant to be kept to ourselves. That's who we are as a church. That's who you are as a follower of Christ. You are somebody who is meant to share the love of Jesus with each and every person that you come into contact with. And so love, it has to drive all that we do. And we only know love from experiencing the gospel of Jesus. So today, even right now, we're going to hand it back over to H2O Akron. We're going to hand it back over to the site pastor.